Yeah, good job. Turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Yes, sure, Eleanor. Mm. Let's stand as I read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, our text. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be reborn. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. God, we thank you that you saved this encounter for all of us to read of a man who thought he was there, but he wasn't. Father, I pray you speak to our hearts and that we would look at how we must be born again, Lord, born from above. And so just, just lead us by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, we all struggle with regret because the truth is we're a broken bunch. I'm talking about humanity as a whole. There is the skeleton in the closet, and sometimes when we lay down at night to sleep, we hear the bones rattle. We're bothered by something that we have done or something we haven't done that makes us feel like there's no hope. There is a sense of despair. And what's so beautiful about this encounter is that Jesus gives an opportunity for a man to have another chance, a do-over, a way to let go of the regret that he may have had in his life. And so we look at this man. Um, he was a rich guy. As we read in the Talmud, it tells us that he was one of the four richest men in Jerusalem. So he was well-to-do. It wasn't like he didn't have money. And he certainly had influence. His name means ruler or victor over the people. So Nicodemus, when they looked at him, oh, another ruler over the people. Now that's his name. I look at my name, as far as I can tell, my name's Todd and... In the Latin, it means fox. So what does that mean? If Todd comes over, I better watch my chickens closely, you know, so they'll be safe. But the truth of the matter is, he was a rich man. He was an influential man. He was a man who actually donated the spices for Jesus' burial. So he, he, he was a giving man. He was a religious man says that he was a Pharisee. There were roughly 6,000 Pharisees in Israel in that time. And this guy was 
one of the most well-known. He was described as the teacher. And the Pharisees took a solemn pledge around three witnesses that they are going to obey with everything they have, the law. That was their desire. That was their goal. But that meant going the extra mile, way beyond even what God said to do. You know, in the law, it's interesting. You have three paragraphs in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, that speak about the Sabbath. But then, after you have those three paragraphs, you also have the Mishnah, which is codified Pharisee law, scribal law, of describing exactly what the Sabbath is that goes beyond those three paragraphs. And then on top of that, you have the Talmud, which is like a commentary to the Mishnah to even add more detail to what God has said. And you know what? We tend to get in trouble when we start adding to what God has said. When we take our thoughts and try to equate them with God's thoughts and we begin to add to God's thoughts. Let me give you an example uh, as far as the Sabbath. They wrote... You can't carry a burden on the Sabbath. So then they had to discuss among one another, well, what is a burden? <laughs> and uh, so one rabbi said, food equal in weight to a dried fig, enough wine for mixing a goblet, enough milk for one swallow, enough honey to put on a wound, enough oil to anoint a small member, enough water to moisten an eye salve, enough paper to write a customs house notice, or enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet. And they would have endless debate back and forth. Well, how much is breaking the Sabbath? What constitutes a burden? Uh, for example, one guy talked about, well, can you lift a lamp on the Sabbath? Is that a burden? Is that work? Another person wrote and said, can a child be carried on the Sabbath? Is that work? One of the Pharisees said, can you wear dentures? Is wearing artificial teeth, is that work on the Sabbath? What was bearing a burden? It got so bad, in one discussion, they even asked, is, is it breaking the Sabbath if one of your hens lays an egg on the Sabbath? And in the midst of that discussion, the only answer they came up with is to sell the hen, to a Gentile. Number one, you'll get money out of it, and number two, the Gentiles don't really count under God's law anyway. One person said, you could eat the egg that was laid by the hen on the Sabbath if you intend to kill the chicken as a price for breaking the Sabbath. I mean, it just got ridiculous with all of these laws adding how to please God in detail above what God has said. And if we're not careful, we can play church in that manner. I'm, I'm going to please God by having all these extra shows of my love for Him. I'm going to be a great church member, or I'm going to be a great citizen, or I'm going to be a great uh, spouse or parent, or, you know, so goes the game. We also learned that he was a part of the 70-member Sanhedrin, which was like a Jewish court. And so here was a guy who was also politically involved in Israel. And we learned that he, he was a teacher. Notice what um, he said in verse 10. He's, um, he says, aren't you 
the teacher in Israel, as Jesus spoke to him, so it says the teacher, not just merely a teacher. So Nicodemus was, was sought out as the speaker everyone wanted to have, the guy who seemed to have it all together and what it meant to follow God. Now, why did he come at night? You know, some people say, well, he came because he was afraid. He didn't want other people to see him meeting Jesus, what that might do his reputation. Some have said, well, maybe it's cause of a secret sin in his life. Maybe it's because his schedule was just so busy that was really the only time he could come and see Jesus. But you know what? Who cares? The truth of the matter is, isn't it great that he just went to see Jesus? Look, we're all broken. Um, some people say, well, you know, you're just coming to Jesus because you're going through a divorce, or you're just coming to Jesus because you're facing a health scare with cancer or some other disease, or you're just coming to Jesus because you lost your job. Man, Thank God that they're just coming to Jesus. Regardless of, of the details of, of what's happening in their life, that they're running to the right place. And, and I think it's interesting here in the scripture how he refers to Jesus as a rabbi. And, and he as he speaks to him, he uses this term, um, you are Israel's teacher or, or rabbi and it is a term of politeness, and basically he's putting himself on equal footing with Jesus because he was the guy, he was the rabbi, and boy, did he get that wrong. Jesus wasn't merely a teacher. He was the teacher. He didn't merely teach what God says. He was God teaching us. He truly is God. When he speaks in here and he, he talks about um, to the people or to Nicodemus or to Jesus, I'll get this straight here in a minute. He says to them, um, we, he speaks in, in plural. And who's he speaking of? Well, other, other Pharisees is my guess. Maybe possibly those who were on the Sanhedrin who also were curious about Jesus, about who Jesus really is. And that curiosity, it impacted him. You know, there are no breaks in the original scriptures. We've ch broken them down into chapters and verses. But at the end of chapter 2, there's really no break as you go to the next chapter. Verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, He did not need a man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Jesus had been critical of many that we looked at last time who were coming to him, but really only to get the blessing and not get the one who brings the blessing. But here, in verse 3, we meet a guy who comes, and Jesus reads his heart. He comes for a different reason, because there's something about Jesus, something that has captivated him. He doesn't really understand, but he knows he needs to talk to him. He knows he needs to have this meeting with Christ. It would be like, let's say that you are a, a musician. You went to Juilliard School of Music and you've got 
all these prestigious degrees and practice and played for years and people love to just hear you play because of the effort that you put into it and suddenly this guy shows up one day as you're getting ready to play in a, a, a co- you know in an auditorium that's full and this guy shows up and man he's from so deep back in the woods um, there's not even a road you know and he learned to play his grandpa's piano never had any training when he sits down that piano and plays, you know instantly this guy is a musical genius. And people are so moved by his playing that they become emotional and they're just overwhelmed. You see something in that guy that people can't help but notice. More than just the training of, of this pianist who went to Juilliard, here's a guy who has something that cannot be explained. So so it is with with Jesus. Nicodemus is this trained religious man who knows a lot of information. But when he sees Jesus, he sees something he's never seen before. And it grasped his curiosity. And it led him to see that there's something in his life missing. And that Jesus had a necessity for him. Um, Notice... As it says in our, our text, in verse 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus could have said, oh, so you're here because of all these great miracles. You're here because, you know, you need a miracle for yourself, or let's spend some time chatting about this, okay? Nick? No, he didn't waste time. He got directly to the point. Because Jesus saw his heart. He saw that Nicodemus knew he needed something. And so he went directly to that need. He spoke directly to his heart. Nicodemus didn't say the words with his mouth. But Jesus knew what he really wanted. And so he just shared the truth. To get what you desperately want, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. He was moved by that. You see, some, we, we break everything down into denominations uh, in Christianity. You got your Baptists, Presbyterians, or Lutherans. And I can go on and on probably for quite a while. Um, I know for the short time we were in New York, uh, there were people that, actually spoke of born-againers, like, you know, they're a denomination too. You know, those born-againers out there, you know. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, the ones who know me have all been born again. They've all been born from above. There's really no such thing as a person who knows Jesus who hasn't been transformed by Jesus, who hasn't been made a new creation in Jesus Christ. Um, To be born above, to be born a second time, Jesus says that that is a necessity. Um, You see, Nicodemus believed that by the right of his first birth, being born as a Jew, that he was safe with God. He was one of God's chosen people. That first birth, he thought, that's enough for me. But Jesus said, no, you have to be born of the Spirit and of water. 
And, you know, Nicodemus was grappling with that, and, and it really set him back because he, he thought, man, I am the guy. I've got it together. Everybody's coming to hear me. And Jesus basically says to him, you're not even in the game, buddy. You're not the superstar. You're not even in the game. You don't even understand. You don't even have it. Ephesians 2.1, we're told as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. See, that, that's the truth. Here's a guy who thought he had it, and yet Jesus looked directly into his heart and said, Nicodemus, you never did. Remember uh, from the princess bride, it said there's a, not, you know, mostly dead, it said in princess bride. Well, there's no mostly dead. You dead dead, fully dead, it says in the scriptures. It's interesting, um, in the Jewish beliefs, when someone would convert to become a Jew, they had a saying that you were reborn, that a proselyte who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. Nicodemus knew this. He knew what Jesus was saying, that there has to be a total rebirth, a, a total trust, a total change. And he was aware of that through the words of Christ. Look at verses 5 and 6 as he gets into this. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Um, so what did he mean um, by baptism? Well, well, number one, I don't think... To me, it's clear that when he says um, of the water, you've got to be born of water, he's not saying you have to be physically baptized. Nicodemus, that wasn't even part of their ceremonial cleansing, that you had to be baptized. Now, John the Baptist would come, and there was a baptism, but it was for repentance. But you've got to get ready for the Messiah to come. You've got to get your life clean. But it... Jesus didn't go around baptizing everybody as we read about his life in the Gospels. So I don't think that he's talking about just being physically baptized, but a spiritual cleansing. You do need to get your heart ready. Uh, this is from Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and certainly to keep my laws. So spiritual cleansing is an option. Second option is physical birth followed by spiritual birth. That it's necessary. Uh, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is is spirit. Now, um, he uses an analogy to describe all this as we look in our text. And he says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see the effects of the wind, but you don't really see the wind. Boy, did I get a peek of that with that storm that came in the past couple of days. Trees blowing, limbs falling down, the effect of the wind. And Jesus is saying, when you meet me, 
when you are born again or born from above. You may not physically see the Spirit at work, but you see the effect of the Spirit at work. Just like when you see the tree limbs blow, when someone has the Spirit of God in their lives, you see the presence of the Spirit of God at work in their lives. There, there is a transformation that occurs as a result of that change that is in their lives. Um, as he works, as he transforms. Um, so we're to be born again. Um, as I close, I want to bring out a point here that he says in verse 3. He says, I tell you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Some translations, it says he must be born again. In verse 5, unless a man is born. This is not just good advice or an option or one of many options. It is necessary. If you're going to walk with God, if you're going to know God, if you're going to be forgiven by God, then you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. Jesus said that, and that is, that is our call. If we are to meet God, then we must bow ourselves before him. Um, there's a story of a businessman who had a large warehouse in a city. He wanted to sell it because it hadn't been used for 15 years. And the seller made a good offer, and he said, look, I've got to do some work on this place, so you know, I want to make sure that you get what you paid for. And the guy said, I, I don't want you to do any work on it. I plan to tear the building down because I just want the land. I need the land, not the building. It's kind of that way with us. There's no other foundation that can be laid but the one already laid, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. He wants to tear down the old life. He wants to form a new life. He, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. He is a new creation. That starts with a new foundation. And until you get that new foundation, you can't build upon it what God intends. What about you? Is your life built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Have you been born from above? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this encounter of Jesus and Nicodemus. Lord, it is not what we do that ultimately gives us secure hope. It is what you have done, Lord. Until we meet you, until we agree with the fact that your work on the cross is the only thing that will make things right with God. Until we understand that, until we trust you, until we say, Lord, help me, only then can we be forgiven. Only then can we experience the life that you have for us. So, Father, I pray that someone here, someone listening online, who has not, Lord, stopped and bowed before you, the holy God, and said, change me, forgive me, make me new. I need to be born again. I need to be born from above. Father, uh, what a great time for that to occur. 
maybe for the first time, Lord, someone here has really heard, I need to be born from above. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Father, maybe someone else is, you know, they've trusted you in the past. They've been born from above, but they've wandered away. Maybe they need to rededicate their life. Maybe they need to say, hey, I trusted Jesus, but if you looked at my life recently, you wouldn't know. I'm sorry. I want to come back, and I want to I be bold for Jesus. The invitation may be for you, if that fits you this morning. Or, Father, maybe you just want to bring people to this altar to pray. I know there are needs throughout this church family. Um, Father, or to pray those listening online right where they are. Father, I just pray that we would just simply say, Jesus, help me. I need your help. I can't do it without you. And that we would place our trust in you, whether it is to be born again, to meet you for the first time and to be changed, or whether it is to come back to you because maybe we've drifted. Father, our hearts are open. I, I, I just pray you would speak and I pray we would respond. In Christ's name we pray.